This is a presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu. Hello, I'm James Too, Senior Director of Content and Communications at Trine University, and I want to welcome you to Faculty Focus. This podcast features interviews with Trine University faculty members about their current research and their insights on issues impacting us all today. My guest today is Megan Tolan, Assistant Professor in Trine's Frank School of Education, and, and Megan's going to talk about the use of technology in school settings. Megan, thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me, James. So you were a classroom teacher for several years after you graduated from Trine. How did you integrate technology in the lessons you presented when you were in the classroom? So I have had the pleasure of teaching in classrooms that have very little technology. Um, my first few years out were just kind of the basics. Um, and then moved to a different district a few years later and was given iPads. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, so I think for me, it was just really figuring it out. How could we use it with kids? Asking them to turn their work in online, less paper was my goal at first. I think like with every teaching career, you're like, oh, I look back at those years and think, I could do it so much better now, knowing what I know now than <laughs> what I did then. So um, some of the basic stuff was turning, again, turning work in online, being able to give students faster feedback. What were some of the things that you think really worked well for you uh, in terms of integrating technology into your, into your lessons and into your classrooms? I think at some level, there's a little bit more engagement. They're more excited at first. It was the new shiny device. Like they get excited to do the work. Um, that fades after a while, so you can't lean on that. Students like the immediacy of knowing whether they got things right or wrong. So it's any type of quick test of student knowledge, not necessarily like high stakes, but just want to see where they know. They know right when they hit submit whether they got them wrong. I know. Um, the grading pressure for some of that easy Googleable answers, that's gone. Right? So it speeds up the process um, and they take less paper home. So for me, that kind of the, the in and out of the day um, went a little bit smoother and quicker, which is nice communication, being able to communicate with them. Students live in a pretty connected world. So they're able to ask questions of me when I'm at home. If I'm able to answer, I can with email or even using the, the software in an LMS. Same thing with parents. Parents have easier access um, and I'm able to easier communicate with them. So it's sometimes it's more convenient to shoot a couple emails off than it is to pick up a phone, you know, if it's, especially with schedules. Now you said too, looking back, there were things that you would do over if you if you could. What are maybe some of those things that, again, from your classroom time, you wish you could have done better with technology? <laughs> a lot. I'm sure I, uh, at first, I would say I probably used a lot of it for just student consumption. Knowing what I know now, I wish I would have done more creation, right? Students spend a ton of time on the screen reading, watching videos, um, doing like just filling out paper worksheets, which is fine. It's good. I think it's a place to start. But if I could go back now, I would have them do more creating and making with the technology than just constantly consuming. And then after you were um, done being teaching in the school setting, you moved into a role that really helped educators integrate technology into their teaching. And I know you continue to have that focus here. Can you tell me kind of how that interest developed and how you gained expertise in, in the area of educational technology after um, you left the classroom? Yeah, I 
I can't think of a moment. There wasn't this like moment where I was like, ah, educational technology is the thing I love now. I think I was working on my master's. I had an opportunity to do some professional development, like train the trainer model when our school adopted a new LMS, learning management system. And so I started learning more and doing more and trying more. And as I did it, I just became, I really liked it. And it was a new challenge. Um, I enjoyed being able to, to build and create for my students. I really enjoyed the process. So as I keep working and learning, I just get excited about it. And then for me, it's fun to see teachers grow. Um, I hit this point. I was frustrated a little bit in the classroom. And I was like, I just want to help other teachers teach with technology. That was kind of my goal. Like, That's going to be the new it. So when I transitioned out of the classroom into that role of a tech coach, it was more of just helping, still helping students. The end goal is helping students, but I felt like my reach would be bigger, right? If I can help teachers teach students, then it's not just the 130 kids who walk through my door every day. It's, you know, multiply that by 10, 20. And for me, that was really exciting. What are some examples you've seen of effective use of technology in the classroom? I love it when teachers allow students to build and create. Right? How can we allow students to take this device that they normally consume with and move forward or get them to higher levels of thinking? Um, let them collaborate in ways that were not possible 15 years ago, even 10 years ago. Right? How can we build connections across the world? Um, so those are some fun things with uh, tools where you can video chat with students from different countries and have questions. I know Indiana a couple years ago did a, they call it a mystery Skype where they, just from county to county, give clues, and the students have to figure out where each other are at, based on the county and their knowledge. That was the fourth graders. Um, so anything that breaks down walls for kids and allows them to build and create as opposed to just constantly consume. We know that, again, they're doing that a lot on their devices outside of the school day. So what can we um, do to help them be creative and be makers because the next generation is going to need people to build content. What are some common mistakes that teachers make when they try to implement new classroom technology? Yeah, I think the most common one is giving up too easy. Maybe that's a cop-out answer, but it's not going to go well the first time. It's probably not going to go well the second time. Um, and I wish, I wish the technology was as reliable as the lights are. Like we walk into our classrooms, lights turn on, right? We know it's going to work. Sometimes it's not like that with technology. So I think teachers get frustrated, and rightfully so. You have a room full of 27 eight-year-olds, and something doesn't go well, and things get a little crazy. So being able to take a step back, um, know that we don't have all the answers, and try again without giving up, um, that's probably my biggest. I see people just like, they're right there and give up. The other thing is being able to problem solve and help themselves. I think we get frustrated because it's not working the one way we know how to make it work. And how can we be willing to try new, new things? Um, and it's scary. So I know that's a real thing for teachers to say, well, I have to get through all these standards and I have this content and, oh, the technology didn't work and I just lost a whole day. Right? So I think there is a, a fear of failure there too. Um, so if we can work, continue to work through that and be willing to try new things and know that it's going to take time. I can look at the courses I built my first year teaching. I actually use them in PD and I'm like, this is where I started. Right. So now I'm 10 years down the road and this is what it looks like. It didn't start there. So I think sometimes we just have to give ourselves a little grace, too. What are some things that teachers, um, and particularly those who may not be tech savvy, uh, what can they do to make more effective use of the technology that's available? I love that you use the term tech savvy. My students here at Try know that we don't use that term. Or if we do, we say we're not tech savvy yet. Right. I think it's kind of a state of mind. You see people who work in the technology field who are 20 and 70, and it's a no one's born 
<laughs> with this ability to code, right? So it's a, it's a learning thing. Um, so if the first thing is a change of attitude, right? You're, it's a learning, we're gonna work, we're gonna get better, I'm gonna continue to get better. I think the other piece is that sometimes students are willing to try, we just have to give them that opportunity. And it's scary too, to say, hey, you know what, I don't know how this works, but let's figure it out together. Or you can use this tool, I have no idea how to do it, but I'm gonna be here to help you figure it out right alongside you. So um, just being able to give up a little control I think that would be it. And know that it's going to take time, which I, I guess I just said, but it's, it's about learning and trying and getting better every day. And that's what we expect of our students. So I think those who people who feel like they're not tech savvy yet, just giving themselves some grace and continuing to learn, maybe from their peers, professional development, watching videos, just trying it. You're not going to break it more than likely. What are some things you think that uh, school districts or school corporations can do to make the transition to new technology smoother for classroom teachers? professional development. And I'm not just saying that from someone who enjoys facilitating that. I think just from what I've seen across the state, we roll out a ton of initiatives, whether it's technology or not, but we're only giving teachers one hour of PD. And it's expensive, so there's that. But how can we create job-embedded, meaningful, relevant PD that feels ongoing as opposed to, you know what, I'm going to teach you how to use this tool in an hour. You might not use it for six weeks, so try to remember how to do it then. Um, and, and having a clear vision. I think sometimes we roll things out and teachers are like, but why? Right? And I think one of my favorite authors is Simon Sinek. He says, always start with your why. So I think if we as district leaders can say, this is why we're going to do this. Here's how we're going to do it. Um, that's going to, it'll go a long way. What are some things we're doing here at trying to prepare future teachers to effectively use technology? And maybe not just what's hot technology today, but what's going to be coming up in the future. So one of the first things we're doing um, for all of our School of Ed students is help our students graduate with an extra certification. So all of our students will work towards and take the Google Certified Educator exam. Doesn't mean they're going to pass, but we're hoping to put them out in the school districts. Google platform is the number one platform in the state of Indiana. Um, so we think that if we can better equip them out to use the tools that are current, um, I don't see Google going away anytime soon. It's kind of a major player. So helping them have those skills. And then we talk a lot about our why in using technology. Um, Dr. Liz Kolb out of the University of Michigan has a book that we reference and we use her rubric. And it says learning first, technology second, right? So it's just, it's the philosophy. It's why are we using the technology? Why do we make those choices? Whether it's augmented reality to an iPad to a Chromebook, um, we're being purposeful in the why of what we're doing and then figuring out what tool will help us get there. Um, and again, those tools are going to change over time. So hopefully if they can keep that in mind, they'll be successful in any environment and as continue, technology continues to evolve. A recent trend among school districts, including several in this area, is implementing one-to-one -one computing, uh, which is where each student is provided with a laptop or an iPad or a similar device for the duration of their education. What are some of the advantages of one-to-one of -one computing? Access. For one, right? At any time of any day, I can have students jump on. I can do an activity. We can do a quick uh, little assessment. I can have you build. And knowing that we just have it. I don't have to schedule a lab. I don't have to fight 25 other teachers to schedule that lab. It is nice. Not that everyone, I mean, we don't really love standardized testing, but if standardized testing is going on, that would suck up a lot of lab time. So having the one-to-one, -one, it's just, it's convenient and easier for students. Not to mention, if we send them home, some schools do and some schools don't, but if we can send them home, um, we're allowing students to do work outside of the school day in a more equitable space. 
right? If we before if we did work with a computer and you sent half your students home and they didn't have one, it's not really an equitable ask. So I think advantage wise is access. What are some of the downsides of it? I worry a little bit about screen time, right? How much are we putting kids in front of devices at school? I would hate to see, you know, I think we say, oh, here's devices, here's computers. We encourage teachers to use them. And then we almost go the other direction. We're using them so much. So I think I just, my challenge is trying to find the balance. How can we use the device when it's necessary, when it's meaningful, and then not use the device when it doesn't really serve us best. I also worry about isolation, right? So we spent, again, putting kids in front of their own screen, co-use or group use. We can still have the access and get kids together to talk. And we see that a lot. Are, you know, are kids able to communicate which I think they are, and I'm not really concerned about that. But I do think sometimes we, we just depend on the device too much and kind of take away from the value that is the teacher in the classroom. A concept that's often related to one-to-one computing is e-learning, um, which is the idea of providing education entirely online when school is canceled, maybe due to weather, that's probably the most often, or other factors. Do you think e-learning is as effective as in the classroom education? Whew, that's a loaded question. Um, I think it can be. I really do. And I think it's just as saying, like, is one teacher as effective as another down the hall? So, you know, maybe this teacher, whether it's e-learning or not, we know that the students are getting this experience in classroom A and this experience in classroom B, and that's probably different. And I think e-learning is the same thing. You're going to have teachers who can build and do create awesome digital learning environments for their students, whether they're at school or out out of school. And you're going to have the same thing with e-learning. So some students are going to have great experiences and others aren't until we can get everyone, you know, on the same page. But so for right now, I do worry about it. I am afraid that we've really gone out. We've done this e-learning thing in Indiana now it's a district-to-district accountability. There's no like oversight by the Department of Ed. Um, so if districts are willing to put in the time and the work and help teachers build, I think it can be done really well. I just do, I am concerned about lack of teacher professional development, lack of teacher comfort, and then what those experiences are. And I would hate for it to be so many bad experiences ruin the potential for the good. I think that's probably my biggest fear. You kind of touched a little bit on this, but what are some things that you think um, schools as well as maybe individual teachers can do to make e-learning more effective? I have lots of ideas on e-learning days, but how can we, you know, get students to connect with content, but how can we also get them to connect with one another? The internet has come so far, even in the last 10 years. So could we jump on a video chat and have a conversation? Can students talk to each other without the teacher being present? Submit that video for evidence. Can you have them go do something and bring it back? So one of my favorite assignments um, when I was teaching an online class was to go organize your junk drawer. Right? I feel like all families have a junk drawer. And like build a system for your organization. So they were going to do a task and then come back and report what they did. So getting them off the device to do something and then come back to the device so it's not six hours of staring at a screen. Um, I think that's really great. Any type of e-learning environment where I can have students record themselves, whether that's video or audio. See, a lot of teachers worry about cheating, right? You can just Google the question. So if you have to talk to me, you can't cheat that, right? You can't copy and paste a conversation. So anytime I can allow students to, to have that real experience and to be able to explain things is, I think, a really great space for e-learning. 
outfitting students and teachers with technology takes money, and uh, I would say probably particularly rural school districts um, would s struggle to find the resources to keep up. Um, what can districts or school corporations with limited finances do to keep current with educational technology? Budget. I think a lot of it comes down to having to plan. We're not going to be able to afford 700 devices this year. So can we do a rollout where we, you know, maybe we buy for one class and then the next class and the next class, and then those devices are going to get old. So if we're constantly budgeting for so many devices each year, those are going to cycle through. It's just going to take time to get there. Um, so that's a big thing. I mean, see, people will say grants. Grants are great, but they're not sustainable. So if I'm looking for sustainable funding, I'm just trying to find a plan of um, slowly buying devices and then being able to recycle those when they are getting old, right? We know technology ages pretty quickly. Uh, the other thing, I've seen some districts will charge, like they don't adopt as many textbooks. Schools are using OER or digital versions that cost less. They will do a technology fee. I know some parents don't like that, but it is an option that a lot of districts use. I've seen where they charge X amount of dollars for the device, like specifically high schoolers where you pay, you know, $75 for four years. And at the end of that four years, that device is yours. Right? So that's helping cover some of the cost of the device. We are going to have to recycle that device anyway. So then the students have the option to take it with them or sometimes even buy out the device. There's some really creative ways districts around here are doing that. Um, I think we'll continue to to move the needle on that too. Um, it's, it's critical in rural areas um, to be able to provide that access um, because sometimes people just can't, right? It's not even a matter of money. We just can't get access mm -hmm. out. So um, I think schools are going to continue to work to be able to provide di devices and access to the internet. I mean, what are ways that, um, you know, particularly in rural areas that districts can provide access to the internet where, you know, maybe there's not broadband coverage? So there are school districts who have like the little MiFi Wi-Fi's um, that students can check out. So, you know, if you know you need it tonight for a project, you can go to the library, check out a little hotspot and take it home. Hopefully you have enough internet or like cell phone signal to use that. Um, I've seen districts put a Wi-Fi in buses. So then at least the students, especially again, rural areas, they have a longer bus ride. They can get on the bus and that gives them an hour to do their work if their device is charged before they get home to help with that as well. So. Um, haven't figured it all out yet. I did see um, last year at a conference a school because it was the tallest building in the area connected with their internet provider and they put the cable or the uh, antennas on top of the school. And so they were able to get it at a discounted rate for their students um, and help the internet provider get a higher building, which I thought was kind of a neat idea. One of the criticisms of the increased focus on technology in schools is that um, with only so much time in a day, or like you talked about too, so many budget resources, schools are cutting back on teaching other skills. Um, and I know cursive writing is one that's been brought up. Do you think this is a valid criticism? Yes and no. I'm torn on this. I, I don't know how I feel about cursive writing. I don't ever use it, so I don't know if it's a skill. Um, that we really need anymore. I do think the skill set is changing. Uh, a lot of ed tech conferences, we hear this quote, and I couldn't even tell you where it started, but it's that the jobs are changing, right? We're preparing kids for jobs that don't even exist yet. So how can we help them be successful in that? Um, I think that's a big ask for us as teachers. Um, so we know that like those critical, critical skills of problem solving, communication, collaboration, being able to work with people from all over the world, that global collaboration is key. So I think by using technology, we're helping with some of those skills. Um, 
of course, I'd, you know, we need to have that basic knowledge too. It's hard to get to higher level real world problems without that foundational knowledge. So I think we're still just trying to find the balance. Um, I mean, we joke about this, but, you know, I can order my food on a computer at McDonald's. I had a robot concierge last year at a hotel that brought me my water and my extra toothbrush. So, um, yeah, their jo jobs will change, but we're going to need people to fix those robots when they don't work. So how can we just kind of shift that skill set that students are coming out of um, school with? But, so I don't know if it's really a fair criticism, I guess, but we'll find out, won't we? You must stay in a lot nicer hotels than I do, too. I think, so. <laughs> it was a very nice hotel, yeah. Another phenomenon that uh, many teachers in schools are struggling with is the growth in cell phone use, uh, particularly now among increasingly younger children. What's the best way for schools to regulate cell phone use during the school day? It's hard. It's really hard. Um, I actually have this session that I do with teachers on managing digital distraction because I think that we're all guilty of it, teachers and students alike. So how do we manage ourselves? How do we self-regulate the cell phone use? Um, I think in one hand, if, if I'm a teacher and the only technology I have access to is my student cell phones, I want to use it. So I don't like the idea of taking it away because that could be my only device. If I am in a building or a district that is one-to-one, -one, the district is providing devices, then you have your access point and you have your tool. I don't really need your cell phone, although sometimes it is beneficial. Um, because I taught secondary, I think it's really important that we work with kids to help self-regulate. So what are some strategies that we can do? You can put it on do not disturb. You can flip it upside down. You can do these things because in the real world, when your job comes, are you going to be on your phone or are you going to be doing your job? And at that level, I think we need to help them. If we just take it away, we're not really giving them the skills that, that they might need to be successful in the future. Gets down to the middle school and the upper elementary, which technically a lot of the stuff is 13, right? Legally, students shouldn't have accounts in, in multiple spaces until they're 13. But I know that's not real, that people get devices younger than that. Um, I think they have a harder time, just developmentally, their brain's not able to do some of that. So um, taking the devices away or, or having certain rules. I've seen teachers that'll have like a, a red for the cell phones for the day, like no cell phones at all. Yellow being, you know, we use them when I tell you to, and then green, like you can use your cell phone. So just helping them regulate. Uh, I'm not a fan of school-wide policies. Like that, I think it really depends from teacher to teacher and classroom to classroom, um, how we're using them, how we're able to help students, you know, again, self-regulate in that space. Beyond the um, self-regulation, are there things that teachers can do to maybe make cell phones part of the learning experience? Oh, for sure. I think um, we can really incorporate some of the apps. I mean, there's lots of really cool apps students can um, create on in their phones. And I've had students where, you know, I taught in a space where my students were one-to-one -one with iPads, but they, they're faster and better on their phone. So they would ask, like, can I use my phone instead? I don't understand that. I would much rather use my keyboard on a computer, but if that's what's going to be successful for you. Um, I just heard a story the other day of a student who wrote their entire Lilly scholarship on the phone and was a Lilly scholarship recipient here in Steuben County. So not a choice I would make. But again, I think with students that they're growing up with devices, maybe they are more comfortable there. And my philosophy for teaching is if it's what you need to be successful, then I'm going to help you do that. Once again, I'd like to thank Professor Megan Tolan for joining me today for Faculty Focus. Be sure to check back at TrineRadio.com for new episodes as Trine faculty members talk about their research interests and the issues of the day. Thanks for listening to this presentation of the Trine Broadcasting Network, part of the Center for Sports Studies at Trine University. Learn more at trine.edu.